Broadcasting from Stand Firm Media Studios in Michigan, this is Candid Christian Conversations. I'm Hank, and I'm happy to be joined by first-time co-host JP. JP, how are you? I'm fine. Thanks, Hank. Glad to be here. And it's great to have you. This time on Candid Christian Conversations. There's no denying that the world seems to be more dangerous than ever before. As Christians, we're instructed, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But what if your neighbor is set on causing you harm? Is it okay for a Christian to use violence in self-defense or for the defense of others? That's our topic on this edition of Candid Christian Conversations. All right, first, let's read the legal definition of self-defense. The use of reasonable force to protect oneself or members of the family from bodily harm from the attack of an aggressor. If the defender has reason to believe he, she, they is or are in danger, the force used in self-defense may be sufficient for protection from harm, not just an empty verbal threat or to halt the danger from the attack, but cannot be an excuse to continue the attack or use excessive force. Even though it's pretty wordy, I think it's kind of clear how it's structured there. So as we move away from what self-defense is, we always hear about Christians being pacifists. So one of the most referred to scripture would be Matthew 5, 38 and 39. Ye have heard it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. So what would you say, JP, when it comes to these verses? I like this passage, and I like how it ties to the definition that you read of self-defense. Not to take time and go back into the Old Testament, but this verse harkens back to Old Testament law as it pertained to punishment for someone who had committed a wrong, someone who had sinned against a brother or a sister. Uh, while Scripture was teaching that there should be proportionality or, you know, in the definition that you read, we talked about what was the word that was used in there? Excessive, right? Excessive force is not, is not a reasonable thing. And this passage and, and others related to it seem to, to account for that. And it defined, uh, it talks about proper responses. I know that sometimes people will take this and say that it means, uh, you can't respond with force to, force or a threat with force. If you view this the way that I do anyway, and looking back at the Old Testament passages, uh, the problem wasn't the use of force. The problem was that issue of excessive force. And we had uh, a legal system in place then that allowed people to begin to stray away and justify using uh, arguably more, uh, more punishment, more damage, more force than might have fit the crime in air quotes. Uh, so if in fact this harkens back to that, and that's kind of how I, I view it, it wasn't that it was to limit proper responses, proper punishments, pop the proper use of force. It was to address the original intent of the law, which was you should do what is right in response, but not, not more. Um, I will add here because it's going to come up throughout our discussion, I believe, that this isn't a mandate to use force. Um, so this does not undo what you and I would call Christian liberty. And uh, 
or the the right for a Christian to choose not to use force in response to force. I think that verse is also uh, pregnant with other influence on it, too, because there's a lot of issues where people who were not on the side of the prophets and, and so on and so forth would smack them and mock them and stuff. And, and I think the restraint of not retaliating was something that was uh, also kind of encouraged, possibly, right. you know, because it wasn't, it wasn't always life-threatening. Yes. It could just be something simple. And then, you know, as I've read through Scripture, there's been plenty of passages where God says he'll handle it, you know, in, in a lot of situations for you, too, as well. Yes. So let's delve into the morality of violence. The three prominent views on the morality of violence are the pacifist position, the utilitarian position, which states that the violence can be used if it brings about a net good for society. And then there's the hybrid of these two views, which both looks at what good comes from the use of violence while also examining the types of violence used. So I'd be curious, where do you stand on this matter when you think of the morality of violence? Kind of as I alluded to talking about what the previous passage doesn't prohibit, which is um, um, a willful um, restriction of the use of force or violence. I, I'm definitely not a pacifist, but uh, to use a probably an abuse phrase, I'm, I'm, I think I'm more of a lover than a fighter. So um, I would rather err on the side of uh, caution, if you want to put it that way, or on the side of uh, mercy, perhaps. But that doesn't get in the way of what I believe is a moral imperative to um, protect life, something that's so amazingly precious. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm a utilitarian, uh, so I, I'm probably in the end a hybrid of these two. Um, I think it's important to consider what comes of the violence. And even more as a Christian, I, I think it's important to consider how you act or react to something based on hopefully walking through life, walking through every situation with eyes on God and what his plan is. Uh, we don't always know with clarity exactly what that is, but it's always my prayer for myself that I have that in my mind, even if it somehow has fallen to the back of my mind, um, that my response to anything would have an element of that with it. Pacifism, it's interesting that uh, th there's a range there too. And I know we probably don't need to talk about that, but there are people who are pacifists that if certain thresholds are crossed, they maybe become less pacifistic. Uh, there are others who are devoutly pacifists, either motivated by any number, any number of things, but probably primarily religious views or philosophical views. I, I mentioned how that life is precious. And for me, that is, that is the argument internal for me dealing with violence in a world, you know, a sinful world, a world that's fallen. And uh, we shouldn't be surprised when it acts like we're told in scripture that it acts. Right? It, it, it's, uh, it's a mess. Uh, the world is in need of a redeemer, and um, we watch every day, not only in ourselves, even as even as um, Christians going through sanctification, certainly in the world around us, where 
it's just a it's a wholesale demonstration of uh, of the fallen nature of man at least that's you know that's what i see um we also see god act violently um and not not that we can use that as alone as a justification for the morality of violence but god is awesome and uh should be feared in, in the sense that that's respect, but also should be feared in the sense that what he made, he can destroy. Um, and he's made it pretty clear that the day's going to come when judgment's going to be in front of all of us. And it doesn't, I won't say it does, it does involve an incredible level of violence in the, in, as he, as he uh, dispenses judgment. Does that give us the right to be violent or to, to presume we can be violent like God? I don't think so. Um, again, not by itself. But does God sanction violence? I, I think scripture shows us that there are times when he's had his people act on his behalf, or he has not rebuked or corrected those who are in positions where violence is something that can be dispensed soldiers, for example. Right. So I, I wouldn't apply that as a blanket. Anyone, you know, everyone can be violent in any, any way, or no one should be violent. I, I've driven myself uh, without a deliberate conversation like this in the back into that hybrid position. I would prefer never to have to be violent with anyone, but we are where we are. We live in the world we live in. And, you know, we watch Christians. Uh, I know Christians who are in the police, uh, in pol- you know, or police officers. I know Christians in the military who don't have a problem reconciling the potential for having to do violence against another human. Um, but there is a context in that. It also, you know, I, I want to just point out, you know, guys like Stephen, who was martyred, um, or any number of people captured in documents like Fox's Book of Martyrs. Um, there are places where hopefully when sensitive to the Holy Spirit, our desire to not respond to violence with violence communicates a much louder message that God needs communicated at the time. It kind of makes this hard, right? It makes this walk difficult. We have to be very aware and think through it. It's not a script or a prescription. So I'm a hybrid guy in the end. Fair. In your own opinion, should a Christian even own a weapon of any sort? Most gun owners today point to the following scriptures to make their case. Luke 22, 35 and 36. And he said unto them, When I sent you without purse and script and shoes, lacked ye anything? And they said nothing. Then said he unto them, But now he that hath a purse, let him take it, and likewise his scrip. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. And then Luke eleven twenty one, When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. Even in setting this whole show notes up for this uh, conversation, I went to a couple of different pro-gun Christian type sites and they had the these two scriptures were on all of them and then there were other scriptures that were a little more loosely based any thoughts on that yeah I know these passages I I have never used either of these as the reason that I have no issue being uh, an armed Christian uh in that I don't go to these and say, because the Bible says this, I, I will arm myself or be prepared for violence. Um, I think it does allow for it. I don't see anything in scripture that prohibits Christians as a community or as a people from being armed. Um, I think that an argument can be made that Christians should be armed. 
depending upon where you fall on the issue of obligation to um, protect life. Um, you know, because it goes back to the self-defense issue. Are we allowed to defend ourselves? Uh, I, I, I don't see anything that says we cannot defend ourselves as a, as a rule that applies in all circumstances to all Christians. Um, we're called soldiers of Christ, which is an interesting metaphor, if nothing else. It, and I would argue it's probably literal too. Uh, God uses terms like armor and weapons to describe how we're clothed and equipped as Christians in Ephesians 5. But in fact, that may be a wonderful balance to the passage in Luke that we uh, were looking at, looking at just, a, just a bit ago. You know, in Luke, we're, we see instruction to buy a sword. But we're also reminded when we look at other passages that our battle isn't carnal. It's not against flesh and blood. So again, this balance though, right? We're not told not to fight against flesh and blood. But this may be for me, it is for me, it may be for others, a wonderful example of what C.S. Lewis described when he referred to us living in a land of shadows. In fact, the, one of the movies or a couple of movies, I think it's been made and remade about his life was called Shadowlands. And, and where that comes from was his description of this earth in all of its reality, this physical life that we have on this planet as amazing and deep and wonderful and colorful as it is, it's only a shadow of a much greater reality. Um, likened, as I recall, when I uh, read this description by him, uh, as if a, a, the shadow of a bird passed in front of you. You know what that is. You see it, you go, oh, a bird is flying by, and you might look up and try and find the bird. That shadow tells you a lot about something that's very real. The shadow is real. But it's, it is nothing like the, the actual bird. Well, our life on earth, uh, Lewis argued, is, is living in a land of shadows. So if we see battle, we see strife, we see wars, we see love, all of these things in the physical world that we live in, those would then arguably be shadows of a much greater world, um, much greater strife, much more amazing love, all of that. The world acts like the world, like I said before, it shouldn't surprise us. God chose to leave us here and to be his hands and his feet, to be salt and to be light. Well, that world contains violence. And, uh, you know, go back to the issue about owning weapons. Um, I don't see any scripture that says if you're a Christian, you, you must not own a weapon. Back to liberty, which I talked about before, right? A statement that says that you should sell something and, and buy a sword or a statement that shows us that some acted as martyrs and did not respond to violence with, with other violence communicates to me that there's a range of Christian liberty here. And we're really uh, much more dependent upon God and what he's telling us to do. You know, our conscience, as it's fueled by the Holy Spirit, a circumstance may arise that you may have a default response in mind, but hopefully God is there whispering in your ear. Whether you respond in a more pacifistic way or you respond with violence to violence, um, and none of that undoes that issue of proportionality or um, you know the restrictions that we have about using excessive force. That is very true. That's how I've wrestled through, worked through, struggled through that issue about about owning guns, owning weapons. Next, we see a clear distinction when it comes to certain acts such as a robbery that the robber doesn't appear to have a leg to stand on, so to speak, 
Let's go back to Exodus 22.2. If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there shall no blood be shed for him. And I think of all these different passages uh, that deal with an individual or a group of individuals executing some sort of a judgment or, or defending themselves or whatnot. And it seems pretty clear to me that there are certain situations in which God does not hold you personally accountable for killing someone. You know, like it doesn't strike against you, so to speak. What are your thoughts? Isn't it awesome that God doesn't leave us without any structure or rule set for responding to, to, to wrongs? In this case, uh, just like with these other, some of these other points that have come up, I don't see this as a prescriptive approach to what you should do when a robber, you know, a thief comes into your house, uh, even at night. Uh, this, this, I believe, had more to do, as well as other Old Testament passages, uh, you know, Ezekiel 21, uh, Leviticus 24, Deuteronomy 19. We get these laws, we get these rules that are in place that governed how we should properly respond to certain things. And it's interesting that in this passage, we're told about a robber coming into the house. I've seen some commentaries where it talks about not somebody just walking into your, you know, through the front door, but digging through the wall. You know, the, the, this would be a surprise. It's at night when you're typically not, you know, you're, we'll just, I'm going to make an assumption here. Scripture doesn't say this, but you're asleep. Um, you're in a, you're in a state that typically you're not as alert. You're not out in the market. You're not in a bad part of town or whatever. You're in your own home and suddenly there's a robber. And what this implies to me is the reaction could be one in a circumstance like that where you could even kill the person and that may not have been your intent. Right. Perhaps it's dark, you were startled, you're worried for your family, whatever may have been going on. And so there is a provision in the law there that says all killing is not the same. The circumstances around killing are not the same. A robber in the day, apparently, versus a robber in the night, it warranted calling out the difference. Um, and it, and it, says, you know, as you, as you read, the perpetrator of the violence in this case, or I would say the defender is not going to be, he shall not have to shed blood um, because of this killing. I would always hope in a circumstance like this, you know, this is my default, that if this kind of a thing happened in today, today's world in my house, that no harm would have to come to anybody. But I don't hope that naively. People don't typically kick a front door in or, or enter somebody's home um, because they came by to wish you Merry Christmas, right? <laughs> right. Being prepared to act in a certain way and knowing that even if your intent wasn't, you know, somebody breaks into my house, I'm going to kill them. I'm not sure that's the right attitude. Somebody breaks into your house and you're prepared to respond in kind. That's a different scenario. Intending to stop somebody from causing harm and discovering that you've killed them and that wasn't your intent, that's an accident. Right. And, and this sort of touches sort of touches on that kind of a problem set, but makes it clear that 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 individual whose home was broken into at night isn't going to be held to the same standard as somebody who willfully commits uh, a killing, or, you know, perhaps a murder. And we also see that God took into account these accidental killings. So let's go to Joshua 20 verses one through three. The Lord also spake unto Joshua, saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint 
out for you cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses, that the slayer that killeth any person unawares and unwittingly may flee thither, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And I am always taken back by this. Um, when I was younger, I used to read through these. It didn't really have that much of an impact on me. But as I've lived uh, life, and, and I, I'm, I'm from Flint, Michigan, so you can imagine that I've seen a lot of violence, unfortunately. And being in situations where I've had to fight and stuff like that, or I've seen people just do inexplicable things and Maybe it was an accident, but my goodness, you want to you want to get after them a little bit or, or what have you. Right. To read through these and know that God took into account that there are going to be circumstances when people get killed and he's taking into account measures for the killer. Yeah. And it is humbling. It, it, it really strikes home to me because that's a level of forgiveness that I don't think I've always been able to. uh present <laughs> to others, you know, when they've done something to a family member, a friend, and I'm just like taken back anytime I read about the depth and the detail of how he made it to where oh, if you're the Avenger of Blood, you're going to have this long journey. And hopefully by the end of that journey, you're not going to want to kill this individual. I just find it fascinating that he goes to those great links. Wouldn't it be interesting if if God in this context said to kill somebody even accidentally is so bad that if if he, the law of man decides that you will die you know god I, I suppose god could have said here that's too bad there was a death that was accidental by definition what, it, what i mean but in the real world there are deaths that will be accidental because this tells us that there will be the judgment of man is that you will pay the ultimate price and pay with your life and God could say, it's not what he says here, hey, look, uh, imperfect man, man who is inclined to make mistakes can accidentally kill someone. An imperfect man could then render a judgment that on, the, on the killer or the slayer, as they're called here, um, that they too will pay with their life. Don't sweat it, Christian, because you're eternal. You're, you're in my hands. You're going to get a new body. Uh, all of the promises that we know are, are to come. Don't don't sweat the loss of this vessel that you currently this clothing this tent right all of the descriptions we have but he doesn't say that he actually instructs us to account for again the differences in, in how killings can happen um, and an accident is an accident pro sports you know there there are thankfully not we're not replete with examples but there are examples in pro sports so these are the as we you know. My past line of work in the military, we would refer to sports, athletics, um, combat training, things like that, pugil sticks, boxing, as football would be another great one, right? The academies play football. That these are, This is combat on the fields of friendly strife, right? Well, we know from watching uh, sports, pro sports in particular, especially combative sports, that's no one ever goes into the ring for example, or out on the football field saying, I'm going to put a lethal hit on that other person. doesn't mean it's not violent, but no one walks out there arguably saying, I'm going to kill the other guy. It happens at times. Do we hold that athlete to the same standard or, or the driver who a child runs out between two parked cars and they hit that child? That's tragic. Is that driver 
the same as somebody who premeditates to kill and then goes out and kills in an unjust way. Um, God accounts for that. I, I think that's comforting. I think it's comforting for both the reasons that we've essentially covered here. One is I would hate to be the one committing the accident, knowing that I'm responsible for taking the life of another person, uh, the life of a member of someone else's family. And there was no wrong. There was, that wasn't, uh, it was an accident. Um, but the other is that in the imperfect world of man, even though we're Christians and we're living here, the world is fallen, like I had mentioned before. And that scenario where someone could be judged guilty of something that was truly an accident and they could ultimately even pay the, you know, the, the ultimate price and lose their earthly life. Um, we can take comfort in that if that happens to be us as Christians, because God does hold us in his hands. That's not what he wants here. Obviously, he's making a, a provision, but what an amazing scripture. By the way, you know, I mentioned the death of another is tragic. I'll go as far as to say the righteous, the just death of another is still tragic. It's a different kind of tragedy when somebody who is guilty of nothing, and I, I'm going to air quote that one too, because... Um, you know, the spiritual camp I fall in, the Christian camp I fall in, you know, we start in a fallen state and then we're redeemed or we don't start good, fall and then get back up um, in our lives. You know, Adam's sin was mine from, from moment one and I needed help from the start, but you know, maybe that's a topic for a different, a different time. But the tragedy of a, of a death and knowing that an accident is excusable I guess in some sense, I, I, that's the best word I can come up with. That shows us God's grace and mercy. But at the same time, you know, back to that theme of liberty again, we as Christians in particular can never use our state of grace as an excuse to be sloppy in our faith or to be reckless in our faith. I'm going to behave recklessly on some level because I know that I'm held by God, I'm in his hands. And if I make a mistake, you know, uh, I, again, again, air quotes, if I make a mistake, which I'm not really going to put a whole lot of time in to worrying about making the mistake or not, I know I'm still good. Well, that is the movement in my mind from liberty, Christian liberty to you're now pushing into license. You're using your grace, your state of your, your position in God's grace as a justification for not taking the care that is appropriate, especially in the context of violence and, and death, potential death. Those two, they stay in play through this whole problem set. Yeah, that's really well stated. Let's delve into revenge killings. Some of the most prominent stories revolve around Joab. That's King David's nephew. We know he had plenty of ups and downs during his life. And what are your thoughts when it comes to when killing is justified versus when it's simply revenge, because there were certain instances where Joab had clear mandates not to do something and he did it. He did. And there were other times where he had good advice that God agreed with, like not taking a census, for instance. But um, what are your thoughts on justified versus revenge? Man. So where I am on this, how I operate in my own life is that I, I am in no way allowed to exact revenge in this context, or at least in the context that is in my mind as we talk about this vengeance is God's, it's not man's. You know, Nahum 
1 verse 2 tells us the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps his wrath for his enemies. He tells us he has a day of vengeance coming. Uh, Isaiah, you know, at the end there, that was uh, Nahum 1 and 2. And then I ended with uh, Isaiah 34, 8. There are also times when God sees to use his people to deliver his vengeance. Um, example in Numbers 31, for example, uh, uh, what I see happening here, how I, how I manage this in my mind is that the only time I'm allowed to be vengeful or an instrument of vengeance is when God says, I'm going to use you to exact his, his wrath, his vengeance. To me, that's a different problem set. That's a different thing than uh, the Christian's preparedness to proportionately and to properly respond to an offense, especially in this context, if that offense is violence, if it's a threat to your life, a threat to your family's life, a threat to your friend's life, uh, things like that. So uh, vengeance for me is in the don't you're not, you know, I'm not allowed to be that guy. I don't view proper judgment and proper punishment is the same as vengeance. Um, by the way, where I live, there's a legal prohibition. This is the practical use of force, right? Armed citizens and whatnot. There's a legal prohibition from shooting a fleeing felon. That's the language that the law uses. The context is that that fleeing felon who elicited a proper response from you to use deadly force now flees. It could be as simple as this. They, they threaten you with your life. It's clear you respond by presenting a weapon to them and they run. You can't shoot them. The threat has ended. To then pursue them, or even if they aggressed you, if they were aggressors and they, they, they literally threatened your life, they shot at you, they took a swing at you with a knife, I, they said, I'm going to kill you. Something happens and they, and they break off the assault and they flee. Um, at that point, the situation has changed. For me then to pursue that person, I am now a new offender, not a defender. And the law here specifically says you cannot do that for any number of reasons. But I, I see that as, a, as an earthly manifestation of this kind of rule that we see in, in God's construct, as I understand it. The proper use of force, even up to deadly force, is proper. Vengeance belongs to God. So if you're not one of his people or in a group of his people who have clearly received guidance, like in Nahum, right? The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps his wrath for his enemies. And then in Isaiah, or sorry, that wasn't the Isaiah passage. It was in uh, Numbers. Avenge the people of Israel. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. And he's talking about the Midianites, right? The Israelis were going to go after the Midianites. Um, Moses, so Moses spake to the people saying, arm men from among you for the war that they may go against Midian to execute the Lord's vengeance on Midian. They didn't just concoct a good idea. Let's go to war. God said, arm them. Moses turns and says, arm your men and we're going to war because God said we're going to go to war. And if it's uh, not a sudden situation, so, you know, say somebody just suddenly bursts into my studio and I shoot and kill them. If it's not a sudden situation like that, a good rule of thumb is if you weren't mandated to do something, uh, you know, some act or whatnot, then uh, it did not come from God. You know what I mean? He will clearly let you know yes. what you're to do or not to do. There's so yeah. many people that use the God spoke to me on this and God spoke to me on that. And, and you're just 
got to take their word for it. Right. When God speaks, it is clear he doesn't lack in anything. Right. And the place where he speaks the loudest and the clearest in my mind is scripture. Amen. There's not a lot of guessing there. I know we struggle with what things mean and um, context and all of that. But, you know, I, I remember a pastor friend of mine admonishing another brother at one point who had a habit of saying he was going to pray to God and ask him what he should do in a particular set of circumstances. This was a routine thing. It was interesting that this that he typically was praying about something that was very clearly addressed in scripture and he was trying to, to use the I prayed about it and I'm not I'm not warning or or suggesting people shouldn't pray about things even if they are clear in scripture but uh this this fellow with all of the best intentions would would say oh, I'm going to pray and ask God if what I should do here or if I should do this or if I should do that and in several of those cases there was pretty clear direction in scripture about how he should behave. And the pastor finally admonished this guy and said, you are mocking God when he tells you that something that you intend to do is prohibited in scripture. And your response is, yeah, well, well, I'll pray about it. He already told you, you know, that's a similar construct to this. Uh, You know, I mentioned these guys didn't sit around. Moses didn't go, hey, I got a good idea, guys. Let's 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 put the band back together and let's run out the door and go to war with these with these cats. No, God comes to Moses and tells him what the plan is. And then Moses arms the men or instructs them to arm men from among themselves that they may go against Midian to execute the Lord's vengeance, not Moses's great plan. So I I totally agree with you. Those kind of circumstances, you're going to know. Uh, and if you're questioning it, uh, unless God constructs a thing like, uh, you know, where he he wants to help man work through a particular problem. But but this looks pretty clear to me. Right? You're going to go to war and you need to you need to pick up, get the men to arm themselves and off. We're going to go. Oh, yes, sir. Got it. And when it comes to confusion, we'll say lastly, let's talk about another often used verse that seems to pertain to, you know, nonviolence. Uh, Matthew twenty six fifty two. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. You hear this <laughs> verse so frequently. Right. And to me, it is clear the meaning behind this verse. Mm-hmm. Because the scriptures must be fulfilled. Yes. And people take it and they'll run with it a different, in a different direction and try to use it towards their argument. What say you? Yeah. Oh, I'm with you. Um, you know, this, I'll give the benefit of the doubt to this, uh, this zealous individual who pulls the sword out. But you described the context, which was that Jesus had to do what he had to do. And it involved the, all, of, all of the horror that leads up to the crucifixion. That had to happen. And here's this, you know, I'm going to totally take liberty to paint a picture using, you know, a person we don't really know anything about him, right? This is probably this young, uh, fit, zealous individual who probably some days prior had never thought about ever seeing the Messiah or maybe had heard about this Jesus guy. And suddenly he realizes he is with the Son of God. And now somebody's going to presume to lock this guy up 
and cause harm to him? I don't think so. In, in all of his zeal, he's going to put a stop to this, even if it means his own death. And he gets, he gets schooled by the boss. <laughs> so, you know, I, I can't blame him, but I think this reinforces everything we've been talking about. For me, it does in my, in my own mind, which doesn't mean that I'm right, but um, there are times and places where violence is appropriate. This was a time where someone presumed to tell God what was required. Oof. It's like Adam, right? Why did you do this? Well, it was that woman you gave me. <laughs> really? Pass it on. <laughs> Adam, really? You're, oh, you know, you're going to blame God now. Got it. You know, that's probably not the best approach. No. This guy, this young man, whoever, whoever he was, he didn't see this coming. You know, the Jews didn't see this coming, right? They thought that when God came and his kingdom came, it was going to be with violence. It was going to end Rome. It was going to do all of these things. And here comes a carpenter's son on a donkey. <laughs> he wasn't anything like what they expected he would be. But don't worry, you know, probably says Jesus at some point off to the side, perhaps, or one of the, their apostles rolls in and says, hey, man, the time will come. Don't worry. We're with you. This is hard. That zealous guy was was with Jesus and ready to fight to defend his Lord. That's awesome. But he was wrong. It wasn't the time. There is a time and a place where violence is appropriate. There are times and places when it's not. And this is a great example to me of when it's not. I think this has been a really, really good discussion. Any final thoughts? Uh, legalism is wrong. I'll throw that out there as a final thought. Our, our faith is in and our walk is in the living God. Amen. Christianity, as was the case with Judaism, isn't simply a script or a set of rules. I mean, we know that the Jews gravitated in that direction over time. I think we as Christians gravitated in that direction over time. Not that there's no place for rules, but you know, it's easy to want a script. I just want to follow the checklist and call myself good, right? <laughs> We're expected to learn and grow and be like Christ, even as we continue to fight these, these horrible, you know, these, these bodies of flesh that we're in. We live in a fallen world. So uh, we're going to make mistakes because look at what we're going through. We're in school. We're, we're learning. But, you know, the flip side of that, as I mentioned, is we can't use God's graces as an excuse. We can't use the liberty we enjoy as Christians to be lawless. So, you know, uh, legalism is wrong, but lawlessness is also wrong. Uh, we, we are not a people who just do what we want because we're, you know, we enjoy the comfort of God's grace. Human life is precious. We're created in God's image. And uh, for me, my conscience and where I am, I'm not, I'm not pushing this on anybody else, that that life, therefore, is worth protecting and defending, uh, e even at the expense of another's life when it's appropriate. I have no moral obligation, some would say, to defend life. Uh, I would say there is a moral obligation to defend life, um, but even in there, there's a huge amount of maneuver room. We're not told to be violent all the time prescriptively, nor are we ever prohibited from withholding violence. Again, back to the martyrs. So, wow, you know, this Christian walk is not easy, and, or it should not be easy. Um, it should be, it should be a struggle for us in this, in a certain sense, you know, for, for folks who haven't thought about this and the use of force and violence, maybe it, maybe things just got hard. I don't know, but, uh, yeah, it's a burden. It's a, it's a wonderful, holy burden on us to consider how we interact with and respond to 
the world that we live in and the people that we live in. And so many minute details that we aren't privy to all the time. You know, we might look at the news and see individual A shot individual B and you think, oh my goodness, that's the most horrific thing I've ever seen. But maybe the news has been catered and delivered in such a way to make us feel a certain way. You know, you don't know all these things. And I think that is one of the main reasons because we don't have God's ability to judge situations properly that there are so many allocations made for situations because if left to us, this world could get really dark really, really fast. Right. As you've already seen, it has already reared its head since the beginning. Yeah. Pretty much. So I think it is with great caution as Christians that we dispense what we believe to be, I'll join you in your air quotes, (laughs) uh, (laughs) justice. So it's a slippery slope and most certainly a last resort, if if nothing more. So I I totally understand the people that want to stay passive, you know, and and maybe they've already uh, thought to themselves, if it costs me this earthly body, I'm okay with that. Um, And then there are many of us who are like, well, you know, it's going to be situational for me. Um, I'll speak for myself. There are certain situations where I will be prepared to fight and defend. Mm -hmm. And then there's other situations that I have to be strong enough to let go. There's been plenty of circumstances where I have had, uh, when I was a young man, my best friend got killed. Uh, he, He was doing nefarious things, but, you know, I was not walking it. In Christ, I was I was just a, a lost young man and angry and frustrated. And God thankfully took me out of those types of situations where I didn't make a terrible decision that would have ruined my whole life. You know, just on that gut reaction of this happened, so I must must come back with this amount of force. And that that's happened several times in my life where I have had people get killed. And it doesn't make any sense. You know, it feels uh, senseless and and you want to go make somebody pay for that. But, you know, it never thankfully ever worked out in a way where I had to act upon that. So thank God for that. Right. That could be an argument. You could make an argument. Only you would know that those moments you're so thankful for that you didn't respond a certain way, especially prior to salvation that that was before salvation god's hand on you perhaps guiding you uh, for his purposes not not to make you lucky <laughs> right <laughs> um, he had a reason that uh, you were spared um, from similar violence or that you didn't do something in response that could have put you in a different state yep. wow it's uh, and and by the way you know i know speaking for myself but I, i'm going to assume i'm not alone in this that here we are working through sanctification, God guiding us and encouraging us and disciplining us. I hear I'm a Christian, but guess what still haunts me? Ego, anger rooted in the wrong thing. Wow. And, and it's only by God's grace and, and my obedience that I'm not the victim of my own, my own sin. <laughs> <laughs> that is perfectly put out there. 
This is why I created this show is to have open conversations like this. Not many people, even fellow Christians I found, are willing to open up their closet. We all have this dark closet and it's filled with all the wrong things. Absolutely. Could be pride, could be jealousy, could be any number of things. And this is why I created this podcast is to hopefully help somebody out there that that says, you know what, my best friend got killed, you know, and I retaliated and I felt guilty about that for the last X amount of years or whatever, whatever the case may be, if we can lead them back to the word of God and thus hopefully a relationship with God, that is all, all I can ask. Can I throw one more thing in there as yes. encouragement for, you know, somebody might be out there listening to this and they're in this situation. They've done something. Maybe they're a Christian, maybe they're not. And they, in the moment, it was what needed to be done. Whatever it is that they did, they did it. You know, the, the good news about God's grace is that that's not bigger than God, right? Amen. So a, a brother or a sister who is who has wronged another and and gotten sideways with God. You know, we've mentioned this, I've mentioned this, you can't use grace as an excuse to, to sin, but God's grace is, is so much bigger than our sin. And, and, you know, for the individual out there who is not a Christian, who, who God is, is leaning on or calling on or encouraging or pulling up out of the water or whatever the, you know, the picture is that works. And they think of these things they've done. It's a, it's God is bigger than that. I'm so thankful for the cross. Amen. I couldn't do that. I couldn't pay the debt. Right. So he's done it for us. And, uh, you know, this, this is where I think we get the benefit, the benefit. It is a benefit of um, God's love and his grace and the comfort of his arms. And it is the spiritual manifestation of our city of refuge. Yes, 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 yes. He makes physical allocations and then a spiritual allocation. It's Absolutely. a beautiful thing because you might, you know, for somebody that's wondering, like, why would he make cities of refuge for people that have killed people, you know, whether it's accident or not? And, and if you just think about what he ultimately sacrifices in order oh, yeah. to leave us a, a path back, it's humbling. It is. It is. It's amazing. Isn't there a song about this? <laughs> yes. <laughs> this grace is amazing. <laughs> well said. <laughs> JP, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you about this topic. Uh, where can people find you? Well, I have a stale website um, in that I haven't been good at updating updating it. Uh, it's called Somebody's Dad. It's at somebodysdad.net. Nice. That's kind of my thoughts many early on and they've diminished over the years, but mostly uh, due to the tyranny of the urgent. Um, but those are my thoughts uh, on fatherhood. And I, I began that blog when Stephanie and I learned that we were going to have a child. That's awesome. And my response when we learned that she was pregnant was, oh, I'm going to be somebody's dad. <laughs> <laughs> and that became the name of the website. So uh, that's the best, that's the best place. Um, okay. I'm I'm not uh, out there on the social medias too much. Do have a couple of accounts out there, but that website has an email address that works, and um, that's a good place to go. And there's some, you know, there's there's stuff there that people can laugh at and 
or, or, not, or benefit from. I don't know. Yeah, it has been a pleasure. Gang, make sure you check out standfirmmedia.com slash subscribe. Check out the other show that we do, Left and Right Wing, Same Bird, uh, more of a politics style show, but uh, useful nonetheless. But for JP, I'm Hank. Until the next time, we're signing off. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to subscribe in your app of choice by heading to standfirmmedia.com slash subscribe.